0: Welcome back to to Rob Gill's Epic Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn how to take action on your financial future, click the link in our bio to speak to us directly. To learn more about how you can achieve financial freedom, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow Rob Gill all over social media. Financial freedom awaits.
1: You know, it's interesting, when I, whenever I get around folks that that are part of startups, but it really starts with their heart first, it's it's always like the same common denominator. They burn the boats to take over the island. What does that mean? Well, I have with me the the CEO of LifeBrand, TJ Colietzi. What's up, TJ? Thanks for having me. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Doing How many great. people got your name right the first time?
2: Very few. Yep. You, you are in the top right there. There we go.
1: So TJ is the CEO of LifeBrand, but what's interesting is this was a passion for him long before the money, which we'll get into. And this is for all you entrepreneurs that are out there today. It really comes down to belief, understanding that it's not about resources, but being resourceful, right? Absolutely. And and what happens, at least, and and we'll go through this journey together, folks, but what happens is doors will open up if you have unbridled belief and faith in what you're doing, as long as you're going to show up every day and not expect somebody to come save you. And I think in that space, there's a phenomenal journey I want to get into for all these good folks that check us out. And, and TJ, before we talk about where you are now, which is massively on the come up, the scale is incredible. Can we talk about a little bit about where you're from and where it all started?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm from Delaware County, Pennsylvania. People that know that it's called Delco, Delco, uh, just South of Philadelphia. Um, you know, normal. How
1: far from Philly? Just so I know.
2: Twenty minutes. So okay. okay, got it.
1: Yeah. Understood. Um, so you had that. You had that urban street, and you were ready.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, just normal yeah. kid growing up. Um, loved to play sports. I, I was always that like entrepreneur. I was that kid that wanted to do the lemonade stand on the corner. Ah. Uh, you know, I wanted to go buy and flip baseball cards. Yeah. Um, you know, trade them with my neighbors and get a better one and then go back to the baseball card store and sell it for So you wouldn't stop. Cents.
1: You would go back and forth each, oh, yeah, five, yeah, yeah, six yeah. times a day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love we, it. we
2: had, a, you know, we had a little, like, woods we'd cut through and, over some train tracks, and there was little baseball cards. It was called Faraday's. It's not even there. Anymore. It's probably been gone for 20, 30 years. Was that like a neighborhood thing? Like it was like old... a little neighborhood card shop, real small. Yeah. Um, but we loved it, you know?
1: Did, did you have any siblings growing up?
2: Yeah, I had a brother that was two years younger than me, so he'd, he'd make that walk with me a lot. Ah, and did... uh, we have a sister that's couple, five years younger than me.
1: So you're the oldest. But, uh, yeah. So you set the tone.
2: Set the tone, but grew up in an awesome neighborhood. It was a new development when my parents bought the house. It was a ton of young families you know young you know husbands and wives with kids there's about 60 kids on our block growing up I you know we were always outside playing kickball wiffle ball you know
1: it's interesting let me just say let me pause on that for a second because you know where I grew up which was middle class Bayonne my neighborhood had a mix of older parents which for my age they were older but there was the younger parents which always seemed when I look back on it now much more innovative much more creative much more in the know was that collective group of folks, like, you know, when you look at Steve Jobs, he talks about the neighborhood he grew up in. Every single dad was kind of like an engineer at Hewlett-Packard. So it's like a coach's son. Think of a coach's son. Like, he was in the game at, at the gym, what's called the computer gym every night. Was it one of those situations where, where you were coming up, like, everybody was kind of innovative in the no yeah, entrepreneurial? I think it was just cool Or blue-collar?
2: It was definitely more... Bl- we were on that middle ground of, like, a blue-collar and white-collar neighborhood, which... And our town that we grew up in too, which I love because you were exposed to a little bit of everything. You know, you're exposed to that hardworking blue collar worker that gets up, works his tail off, you know, might not be the greatest job in the world or the easiest conditions. And then you had those white collar executives that maybe worked their way up over the years. So you were surrounded by a little bit of everything, which I think was great. But I was also surrounded by a lot of other kids, kids that maybe were... A couple years older than me that I was able to look up to and learn from. You know, for example, one of them grew up across the street from me, you know, and he was that kid that was always, you know, because he was older, a better athlete, better at hockey, everything we'd be playing out front, and well he took care of you. fast forward all these years. Yeah, would always yeah, take care of us. It. And now fast forward, he's the general counsel of our company. Wow. I mean, I grew up across happens. the street. I mean, he was my confirmation sponsor growing up. Relationship. Uh, it it's a very Catholic neighborhood we grew up in. I really you know, there's other kids in our neighborhood that's the director of curriculum for our company that does all of our education. So there's kids that I grew up with my whole life that are now part of our company. And then you feel safe with those kids. But yeah. I mean, the people that you know have been there with you your whole life. Yeah. And uh, I think anytime you're starting a new company, you need to surround yourself with people that believe in you and that you can trust. Cause it's a long, it's a long journey.
1: You know, First of all, it's amazing that you talk about you know you're still connect the connective tissue of the relationship capital of where you grew up is present in your life today. Yeah. So not knowing any of that story, and I'm learning this, folks, as you are. What's interesting to me is um, that's important to you. Like you need Super. to know that people have your back. You need to know that that you could go do what you're gonna do, and it's funny. And I'm not level one-ing, which is we call when somebody says something, you want to say the same thing. The guy that runs my day-to-day, I've known since I was eight years old. Yeah. Right? Blue-collar neighborhood, same thing. And whenever I surround myself with folks that don't grow up with me, I I, I look at them a little bit differently until I don't have to. You know, it's an interesting thing. So um, you get to high school, were you playing sports? Were yeah, you, I mean, I played innovative? a— Like, what was your whole world this, like?
2: This talk about innovative. I'll give you a good thing. But, yes, I played sports my whole life growing up. You know, I played a little bit of everything. I wasn't great at anything, but I was good at everything. And I yep. played soccer, baseball, tennis, basketball, you name it, growing up. By the time you got to high school, I was really into lacrosse. And our lacrosse coach only really wanted you focusing on one thing. So I yep. played lacrosse all throughout high school. Again, wasn't the uh, best player on the team, but I played every single position. You know, I played defensive midfield, attack, defense. I was the emergency goalie, which I've had to do. Um, great sport growing up. I had a really good coach, Coach John Heisman. He was one of those coaches that parents either loved or hated. Because yep. he was hard on the kids. He told the but truth. He, That's what
1: it means. He told the he, truth. He folks. told the truth. <laughs> if parents love or hate, they tell the truth. It's funny, Billy Gilligan in the middle of a practice the other day, you know what he said? He said, How come the parents never complain about their kid? They always complain about the coach or the referee.
2: Right. It's the kids' fault. Yeah. You know, but I mean he was one of those coaches that pushed us, you know, and you win. Like you play the game to win. No that, participation, this whole thing, trophy. like there's no participation. I mean, if we won a game 20 to 4. We were running suicides at the end of the game for the four goals that we let up. Exactly. And his whole thing was, yeah, you guys won. You did good. But that team wasn't that good. When you play a better team, yep. there's not going to be that big of a difference. And those he easy goals. They're not going to come. Yep. I mean, I've always loved that type of coaching. Um, you know, I mean, he he held kids accountable. Yep. If you messed up, you're not going to play. Yep. Um, but he also recognized people that were trying and putting their all in. Like I said, I was not the most talented or biggest kid out there. Yep. But I worked my. I was about to curse. I yes. can see that, and he appreciated that, and he appreciated that. I'll be that guy going for that ground ball, and I'll get leveled by somebody. But knowing that my teammate can then go pick up the ball because I took let the other guy. I, mean, I didn't take him out. He took me out, but it took him out of the play by him hitting me. And I so think so.
1: so that's. But by the way, that that requires a lot of a lot don't know you're going to get hit, but yeah. now your team's going to score. But that's right? the whole idea. Like you know, not a lot of people is. think that way. Yeah. And
2: uh, but talking about being innovative, our high school had an amazing industrial arts program. So okay. think about woodshop. Most high school woodshop programs, you build a jewelry box or I don't know something little. I built a Victorian pool table. Wow, hand-carved Queen Anne legs, felted. I mean, like the entire thing Did you know you were to gonna finish. do
1: that, or you just started doing? You know
2: it? what's crazy? It started out as a bed, and I miscut <laughs> a piece of wood, and the wood's expensive. You had to buy it. Like, yeah, look, my parents. I mean, we weren't poor, but they didn't have all yeah. this money. You'd have to. I didn't have money to go buy the wood to make up for the bad cut that I made. So I'm yep. like, all right, well, because it was supposed to be a big four poster bed, the tall posts, yep. and now it's cut in half. I'm like, oh, I got to build something with shorter legs. Yep. And my high school girlfriend at the time had a pool table in her basement, an old one that it was one piece slate. Like Got the it. slate is sometimes one piece. Yep. And her dad was like, "If you can get that thing out of my basement, you can have the slate and build a table for us." I'm like, oh, "Okay, no, innovation, I, you know, innovation, resourcefulness." Um, you know, to this, and again, talk about my my coach, my high school woodshop teacher, yep. George Trout, incredible the best teacher I ever had in my life. Cause it wasn't about woodshop. It was about innovation, mm. thinking. There was no plans. If I went to him and said, you know, hey, Mr. Trout, how do I build a table strong enough to hold this weight of the slate? Yep. I don't know. I guess you got to figure that out, don't you, TJ? Yep. I mean, like there was no hand holding. It taught you to problem solve, That's right. figure things out, That's work right. with others, rely on others for information and help.
1: And let me let me pause on that. At the moment when you're going through that journey, Right At the end, you know all the connective dots, but did you realize that was happening or were you just going through the journey?
2: You know what? I think at the time I did always notice that. Okay. I did always notice that this class was about so much more. It was mm. about creative thinking. I remember How he even you told How did you know that us, though? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if just, I was always in-, in tune to that kind of stuff, but you know, the first couple of weeks of his class, you, you don't touch a piece of equipment. It's all about safety, measuring. It's like classroom type stuff. And we were getting ready to take our first test And he said, look, I just wanna tell all my students that I encourage you that it's okay to cheat if you can get away with it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he said, if you cheat and I don't catch you, you come tell me afterwards and I'll give the entire class an A. But if I catch you, you're getting sent to the principal's office and you will be in trouble for cheating just like anyone else. Hmm. And I'm like, why in the world? But he told everyone afterwards, the purpose of that is to make you think really hard, to think outside of the box, to think about things wow. that are problem solving. What ever happened with that and guy in life? He just retired after a couple uh, I think last year, was his last year? Think I'm about still friends with him. He I'm still I'm 41 years old yeah. and I am friends with my high school wood shop teacher. Dude, but that's uh, amazing. You know, he encouraged thinking. For him it wasn't you didn't cheat. You thought of a way to outsmart and outthink the teacher. Yeah. So in life, you need to outthink and outsmart your competition. I agree with that. And it was just it was such language. a different way of thinking and encouraging kids. And look, I, I thought of a million different ways to try to cheat. But really what it did, while well, I was trying to find all those different ways. And I'm trying to write down the answer yeah. somewhere. I was learning the information. Yeah. And I was thinking. I never had the balls to go do it because I did not yeah. want to get sent to the office. But he was pushing kids' boundaries and the limitations. Of Did anyone ever
1: successfully do that? To your I don't knowledge? know, you know what? I don't I remember. We, I'm actually gonna call him and find him. We, and him we can. Like, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get that answer back to everybody. So it's funny because, you know, Alexa Creojo who handles my day to day, she'll refer to something that you talked about and like the language is a little bit on both sides, but she'll say, it's sometimes it could be lazy, and not in a bad way because she has come from the world that a lot of folks have come from this world where they're structured, do the homework this way, do it this way, you know, really the, the educational, economic, really soldiers that are creating our country. But the truth is, you just spoke to my, you just made it clear that, that what I do is actually correct. Yeah. That I get to the end as fast as possible by cutting out all the riffraff and I don't have to listen. Don't cling to status quo. I tell all my basketball players this don't cling to status quo. This is not some basketball. And I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is understanding that, hey, listen, just because this is how they say to do it doesn't mean they're doesn't wrong, mean, but, but doesn't it doesn't mean it's the most it. efficient. Yeah. Right? And
2: hey, look, everyone's, my biggest thing I hate is when people say, well, that's the way it's always been done. Yeah, me too. Can't well, stand the, it. Innovation doesn't come from the way things have always been done. Yep. Great that that's been done. And if that worked for certain people, that's great too. Yep. But if there's a better, more efficient way to do something or a way that can benefit more people, yep. then shouldn't we at least try that? And Absolutely. it's okay if you tried it, it doesn't work out. Yep. Because, I mean, you've probably failed a lot in your life. You I'm can't-
1: 17 times a day. Like you
2: can't I, advance am already eight,
1: I'm eight failures in today Yeah, so me far. too, probably. It's, only 11, it's not even 11 o'clock, right? But like
2: If you're not trying, and I, like I tell every single person that works for me when I'm hiring them, if you don't fail at least once in the first year that you work for me, you're not going to make it till your second year. Cause it means you're not trying That's hard right. enough. Wow. You're not trying to push boundaries, I love it. but you need to also make sure your employees feel safe to fail. Yep. You can't tell them that I expect you to fail, but then if they fail, throw it back in their face. My whole thing is if it doesn't work, Just admit it didn't work and move on to the next thing. Don't keep throwing bad time after bad results.
1: You just said something great because I want you to coach me on this. Let me ask you a question because we have a really, which I'll get into and I'll explain to you more privately what we have, but our model inside the space that I'm in is completely different. How do you know the difference between failing up and someone really kind of just manipulating? And how do you coach through the difference? Right, because there is a difference.
2: Yeah, I I think. I like to call
1: it fake confusion.
2: If you're failing up Which I love. The the results will tell you that. Yeah. You know, the results of whether it's clients, whether it's revenue, whether it's the people around you, whatever the mission was, it's pretty clear if they failed in the right direction. Yep. And my big thing is if you're failing in the wrong way, just you need to be aware of that. How much rope do you you give that,
1: though? (sighs) Yeah. If you like the person.
2: I mean, as long as it came from the good place in them failing, and if they didn't see it soon enough, then some of that's gotta come back on me. Some of that's gotta come back on our other executives that we too didn't see that initiative they were doing as failing. Where the rope runs out is if it was clear to me that you knew this was a failing endeavor or a failing idea and you kept going. You wouldn't just swallow your pride and say, you know what, that one didn't work. Let me move on to the next one. Because I let you fail. So you shouldn't have to feel like you can't fail.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times in my specific question, it's about the person not overcoming fear. And and masking the fear and a level of control, which kind of makes it a reoccurring pattern. And, and and that's that's as I'm scaling this, that's something I'm seeing with a certain personality type of people. There's a couple of them in the group right now that I'm trying to break through that. And it just continues to like be something that just happens over and over. I don't know if there's an improvement from a time perspective because you know, you know this, we're both moving a million miles an hour at all times on, on other business yeah. development. So it's hard to see the day-to-day, which you got to trust your people around you. But that's something that's always been sticking out. And, and you made me think of that when you were talking about failing up, which, which I think is an amazing thing. So now high school, lacrosse, you get all these life lessons. Grammar school, you have a neighborhood connective, collective tissue. Yeah. Uh, great relationships. You understand what a friendship is at this point. You're in college. What does that look like?
2: Uh, college was very short for me. I went to college for six weeks. <laughs> I um <laughs> I was always that person, and, and it's it. funny, I mean, you'll read about a lot of really successful people that either dropped out of college, or I forget who it was, it's really famous, that says they dropped in to classes. They would just take the classes that they liked and wanted yeah. to learn about. Um, I was kind of the I same way, either. but I, I'm a fairly quick, self-sufficient learner, and I was six weeks in, I was at Penn State, Delaware County's campus, okay. and there was a kid in the class just asking, in my opinion, really stupid questions like it was in the book, just read the book. It was clear that they did not look at the syllabus, yep. listen to what the teacher said, and then just get the answers out of the book. Yeah. And in that moment I was sitting there, and I've, like I said, I've always liked to work. I was always entrepreneurial. I said, I, I can't sit through this stupidity. I stood up in the middle of class, and I know this sounds really arrogant or ignorant right now. I stood up and started to walk out. My teacher said, where are you going? And I said, I'm too smart for all of you, like a real <laughs> jerk off kid. And I, again, I, I, I realize now what that sounded like. <laughs> But um and I walked well, you down. it up. Well, here was the hardest part. I then had to tell my father, yeah. who my father worked for the IRS for 30 some years. He worked for wow. research and analysis, but he also taught accounting and business law at and Mercy College and Westchester College. Got it. So I had to tell my father that teaches college students that I think I'm too smart for college.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but again, going back, what I loved about that is, you know, my parents had, Okay, good for you then. Go figure out life. That car that we were co-signed on, you don't have it anymore now because you're not going to go to school. You're a big boy. If you think you can make without college, go earn your own money. Yeah. And I love that. Like they never gave me that handout and I ended up getting, I needed a job. So I was actually out running one day and I was cutting through a parking lot. So wait, hold on.
1: You you left school and you're jogging. What was the gap? A week, a month, two months?
2: Uh, This was-
1: Did you have fun for at least three weeks? Well, it was
2: about a year after I dropped out of school. When I first Mm -hmm. dropped out, Believe it or not, for a very brief period of time, I owned a delicatessen. Wow! Um, it's called TJ Clazy's Deli, and um, I was delivering there when I was going to college. Um, long story short, the guy that you know he had some health reasons had to get rid of it. it's like, oh, I'll just I'll, I'll transfer it over to you. You can but, pay me back over time.
1: But the fact that you knew he had health challenges, and the fact that you were in proximity to that at the age of eighteen—just I mean that alone is pretty cool. And then yeah. to be able to be as an eighteen-year-old say, "All right, I'll give it a shot."
2: Well, now and it's not the an thing. easy thing. When I say I'll give it a shot. Anybody that was around, and if any of you that are listening uh, visited T.J. Clazy's deli, you can vouch what an utter failure that <laughs> that venture was. I mean, I ran that deli into the ground faster than anyone's probably ever run a deli into the ground. Beautiful. I had no business running a deli. but You learned what not to do. I took the chance, and yes. that's what. I'm a big believer that if someone gives you an opportunity and whether you think you can do it or not, you take the opportunity and you try to figure it out. Well, guess what? That one, I was too young, too immature, not surrounded with enough of the right people, but I took the shot and I failed. And you know what? I learned from it. I learned a lot from that endeavor. So it was after the deli failed. I was out taking a run.
1: And. um, So you had it for a year though. eh,
2: Maybe nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Were you
1: having like parties there and stuff with your boys. Was it like yeah, Monday night football? I think it's
2: far enough afterwards. I can talk about this. Yeah, yeah. We we did a lot of underage drinking there at the time. Yeah, it was not a good. It was, it was not my better. Yeah. Uh, moment in life, but I mean, look, we it was a lot of our friends hanging out, yeah. and um, you know, again, I got it totally. Probably get it. nothing more than most nineteen and twenty year olds did. Yep. But um, you know, not if you're trying to own a business. Now at the same time, most nineteen and twenty year olds don't own a business. That's right. So what they're doing doesn't affect a business.
1: And you, with the nineteen year old learned the twenty seven year old that went to college is gonna learn ten years late, eight years later, but I, I you're already learned, ahead of it. I learned
2: my lesson years ahead of time. Yep. And um love so it. it was good. But yeah, it was right after that I was out taking a run, cutting through a parking lot. They just opened up a brand new LA fitness in our town. And they're hiring for janitors. And I'm like Dude, I love this. I mean I, I, I know this. how to clean. I love it. And in my thing, I'm like, well I get a free membership. Yep. So whatever, I'll give it a shot. Yep. Uh, I was only a janitor for about two days. Cause you
1: realize how to run the whole company?
2: Kind of, or right. someone else saw the potential in me really. One of um, the senior vice presidents of the company, his name is Mike Barton. I believe he's still with LA Fitness to this day. Um, Can I ask you a question?
1: Yeah, I'm ahead. not making fun of Mike. Does that make you sad or does that make you proud that he would still be there 40 or 30 years later?
2: Knowing he was one of the most influential parts of, to me, he is an entrepreneur. Cause when he started there, yeah. they might've had like a dozen or so clubs and he was one of that. So he whole was instrumental of people okay, shout to out. making them what they are. Got so so yeah. he crushed it. I get what you're saying. Other there's other people that I worked with there. Yes. That were just like a general manager of the club. Yeah. That fifteen years later are still doing the same thing. And they couldn't haven't advanced their career, haven't advanced their earning potential, haven't yeah. advanced their learning, their knowledge. Them I feel yeah, you yeah, wish you, wish wish you could, could give them it. the
1: gift of what you know. Which he
2: though has built this. Yeah, to me he's an entrepreneur. Got he it. was one of the ten people, whatever it is. But uh, you know, he pulled me aside because he saw me just you know BSing with a bunch of people in the gym. Because I mean, I grew up in that town; I knew everybody in there. And he's like, "I see you talking to a lot of people." I'm like, "I'm so sorry, sorry, I'll get back to cleaning." He's like, "No, no, I mean that in a good way. Why don't you think about doing sales?" Yeah, and I'm like, I-, "I know nothing about sales." He's like, "That's where you're wrong. Mm. You do and you don't know it." He said, I just saw you talking to people. You have a great personality and you took a job to be a janitor so you got to have somewhat good work ethic. I'm like, yeah, I think I got great work ethic. And he said, look, the only two things I look for when I'm hiring people are work work ethic and personality Mm. because you can teach any reasonably intelligent person how to do any other job. That's right. You can't teach personality and he can't teach work ethic. Fast forward 20 years, I, I, I hired people based off that too. I love that. So he tried talking me into doing sales I didn't wanna do it. He finally said, look, if you don't love it after a week, I'll let you go back to being a janitor. Fair enough. I gave it a try, and it, you know. You just crushed it right away, like. I hated it at first, because what I didn't like was my manager, well, my first day, she opened up a phone book in front of me, Oh. and I remember she opened it up to the Ms. Oh my God. And said, start calling people and see if they want a gym membership. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm not that kind, I I hated that. Like For me, sales is interacting with people, building relationships. But my first gym membership I ever sold was to Mr. and Mrs. Monkman. Monkman's that I had in gone from. You Monkman,
1: you, what you created years later is unbelievable. Um,
2: but then what I realized from selling the Monkman's was. <laughs> the Monkman's? I encouraged <laughs> That's them. That's gotta to, be a chapter in your book. Hold on, it's gotta be the, the Monkman's. <laughs> <laughs> and they were an older couple too. But um, I encouraged them to bring me two friends within the first week that might want to do You join asked for referrals right I away. Did. Wow. Because in my head, I'm like, I don't want to make any phone calls. So if I can just get them to bring people for me, maybe I don't have to make as many calls. And then they did. And I signed each of those two people up and I said, each of you two bring me two people. Oh boy. And by the time I was about two or three weeks in, I wasn't making any more phone calls. Yeah. And my manager would keep you, but this goes back to status people quo. that do things differently in status quo. Yep. You didn't make your phone calls today. You didn't set your appointments. Put myself, then I, sold more, I sold more memberships today than the whole club combined. Exactly. Because the referral's coming exactly. in. Exactly. But that's not how you do the job. I'm like, okay, but aren't I doing the job in a way that's-
1: Innovative and she's fulfilling and significance. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, that's how I started in the fitness industry. I, Love was, it. I was 21 years old. Love and it. by the time I was, tw- I, I just kind of kept- Moving up. By the time I was twenty-three, I was promoted to be a district vice president and over oversee opening of some new clubs in new areas of central Pennsylvania and then DC. And
1: how many was that in total? Like
2: uh I probably oversaw maybe like four to six or seven clubs at a time.
1: Now during this time, were you like getting married? Were you in your no, relationship? Like, what is all that No, I I was, like? I was, was single group? or
2: dating at the time, but not Got with it. I didn't meet my wife till later on. Um, And I traveled a lot. They would bounce me around to open new markets, but also to troubleshoot underperforming clubs. Okay. And I still was...
1: So how would you do that? Like for for the entrepreneur out there, what are some of your troubleshooting techniques that you even apply today?
2: Well, first of all, like, I mean, if it was back then going into the fitness industry, the first thing I would always do for the first week or two is really sit back and evaluate the people that are there. Not See what's going on. See what the sales team's doing, the management team's doing, the front desk staff. Are they even greeting people when they walk in? Yeah. You know, are they even talking to people when they're walking through the door? Or are they just sitting there on their phone? You know, or are they having a side conversation? You can learn a lot about the dynamic of that. Cause, you know, at the end of the day, most gyms are a gym. You know, like yep. weights are heavy, pools are wet. You can get in shape anyway. Yeah. But you want to be different than the that other. Make... Yeah. So it's, you know, one of the first clubs I worked at, that one in my hometown, that, you know, what I was most proud of, and this wasn't just me. When I was an assistant manager and I worked with this guy, Patrick McGonagall, who was our GM at the time, there was only 87 clubs in the country. Now LA Fitness has, I think, almost like a 1,000 now. There was 87. Wow. And we were ranked number 87 out of 87. We were the most underperforming club in the country.
1: Yeah, until?
2: And then within two months, we were the number one club in the country. Wow. And like the the gym didn't change. We didn't add new amenities. We didn't, you know, do anything different other than we added new people. We had salespeople that worked a little bit harder, that yep. had fun competing with each other. Yep. We made sure our front desk was attentive. We made sure our members, when they came in, were enjoying the experience. But we made sure when they walked in, if that front desk receptionist said, hi, Rob, how are you today? How was your day? That she genuinely meant it. And then would say, if you answered, ah, oh, it, really, it was a really shitty day. Oh, why? What happened? Tell me about it. You mm. know, like just... Little things that made people feel like they were welcome there. We started having member appreciation days where we would just do things to try to appreciate our members, get to know them better. How
1: did you know how to do that? Did you learn it? Was it intuitive? Because sometimes, like, I suspect, like me, like you, we kind of grew up naturally good in sales. Yeah. Like to the point of a paper, I used to have a paper out. Yeah, yeah. It took me 48 minutes. I then decided to get four of my friends and we knocked it down to 17 minutes and the reward was we could go swimming in my pool. Right? right. So I still, you know, that was the reward. So, so, but I didn't have a technique; it was just a natural thing I, I for me. I think some
2: of it was intuitive, some of it was.
1: And then you start reading books about it. Well, you, I, yeah. I was just
2: going to say, I've always been a big self learner. You know, one of yeah. the first books I read when I started working there. I actually saw it sitting on another guy's desk and I, I, I stole it from him. Sorry if he's if he's watching. but uh, We got you. If, 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 I, I even forget we'll his... send you, we'll give you the I, Eagles I didn't tickets. Steal it. I borrowed it and I forgot to give it back. But we'll give him Eagles tickets, right?
1: Yeah, we'll give him some right, tickets. Right.
2: Um, I forget his name, but if there's someone out there watching that's Just let missing him know. a book called Murphy Was Wrong, that was me. And
1: he could go into the Eagles game um, downstairs.
2: But no, Murphy <laughs> Was Wrong was such an incredible... Yeah, I'll make it up to him. Murphy Was Wrong with such an incredible book. You know, Murphy's theory, like what's meant to go wrong will go wrong. I've never heard of that book. This was the complete opposite. It's instead of what's meant to go wrong will go wrong. How about what's meant to go right will go right? I love that. And it's written by Dr. Richard Berkey. It's just a great book. And one of my favorite acronyms that I picked up from that, and I've mentioned this on a couple of different podcasts that I've done or TV shows, it's the acronym for luck, L-U-C-K. And that stands for laboring under correct knowledge. Ooh. When you do the proper labor long enough and hard enough with the proper knowledge and guidance that was given to you, you'll get quote unquote lucky. Because mm. everyone wants to say, oh, that guy got lucky in business. No, that guy worked his ass That's off. Right. That guy did everything that he was supposed to do for a long enough period of time that eventually- it caught up to him. And, and the key is, long enough period of time. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Ed Milette. He's one of my favorite, yep. you know, motivational speakers, authors, you know, his new book, The Power of One More, where it keeps yep. saying, you know, make one more call, one more email, yep. wait one more day, don't quit for one more day. Yep. When people do the right stuff, yep. one more day or one more call than the next person, people are like, oh, they got lucky. No, that he just worked harder than you. That's right. And the proper way. Yep. So like, I love that stuff. But yeah, a lot of what I learned was that, yep but being a sponge to the senior people that worked for us. Yes. You know, the VPs that would come in and out of the clubs, the district managers, I'd always wanna sit and pick their brain. Yep. I'd wanna have coffee with them or grab lunch with them. Just hear things that they talk about. Yep. I would call all the other local managers that were either at my level or the next level above me yep. and pick their brains. Amazing. Try to like, what are you doing at your club to make you successful? What, and then take all that and make it my own.
1: So, so, first of all, there was so many different phenomenal points in there. And it's funny because I was watching a Brad Lee video today. And it was like, I don't. And he's saying, I don't believe in more money, more problems. Because, you know, there's songs about that, right? Yeah. I believe in more money, more people you can help. Yeah. Right? So, it's kind of what you're talking about in the book. What can go right, will go right. Yeah. But you said something really good. And, and this is for the person. Because sometimes people get sticky, right? So, here's what I mean. We both know that if you want to turn decades into days, you have to stand on the shoulders of people that have been there, done it, but you have to want them to share the information with you. If you're too aggressive in asking them information, right, they're going to recoil. At least I do if somebody's is too, too pushy with me. How were you able to influentially have conversations with managers and folks that had what you had where they were willing to share that information with you? This I, is important for the person I, I think
2: this is a two part thing that's got to be from both sides. One is, the overwhelming majority of the upper level management team at LA Fitness were so well trained and they were trained that it's your job as a manager to develop future managers. Wow. So that means you know, the company keeps unlike, going perpetually. Unlike most places, a manager's scared that the person beneath them yes. will take their job. LA Fitness taught you that person beneath you should take your job so and then you, you move go up. take the next person's yeah. job. So they wanted to share information with you, but I think...
1: Do you so, incorporate that in
2: your current world? Yes, 100%. Got it. We almost have entirely promoted from within it our company when possible. Um, but also, I worked my butt off for these guys. Yeah. So they felt indebted the to give me that knowledge. Yeah. But also, I could be that feather in their cap that they could say they promoted yeah. because uh, they knew I'd put in the work if yeah. they just gave me the knowledge so that Amazing. I could learn.
1: I love that. Um, and That's then it was just attention. taking
2: things that they'd say. Again, I, I would also try to be around them, even if they didn't know, you know, if they're having a conversation with someone else, I was that guy sitting at that next desk pretending I was working, but was really <laughs> listening to what they were saying, cause I wanted to learn, I wanted to be a sponge. And that's why I'm a really big believer in the whole like uh, remote, and this might be unpopular opinion right now, but the whole ro- the remote work world doesn't work. Not for me. Um, people need to be
1: around, around people.
2: people. Now for us, we're a new company that is creating, we're innovating. So you need people around, but also you learn from other people. Yes, You grow from being around other people. If I had to start my job remote, when I started sales and management at LA Fitness, I would not own Lifebrand today. Mm. Everything I learned there, and everything I was taught by that first guy, Mike Barton, that I mentioned, and one of the guys that I worked for for the longest periods of time there, his name was Chad Abramo. And again, another guy that's still with the company. I learned everything about management and sales from those two men. And there was a couple other ones along the way that I worked for that I learned a lot from, like that guy, Patrick, that I mentioned. There was another guy, Mike Uliberry. I mean, there's all these, I still know their names all these years later because they mean something to my life. I've Everything they taught me is what I was able to take and apply in a different industry in a different
1: field. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I love the journey here. So... I mean, I, I want to get to Life Brand. Is there any <laughs> gaps between LA Fitness to Life Brand that we could jump into? Uh, especially when someone said, "Hey, here's your severance. Uh, uh, Go a follow real, your dream."
2: A couple of real small gaps. One of them was after LA Fitness, for a brief period of time, I owned a small personal training company. So that why operated. did you leave though? What made you leave? uh there was a period where LA Fitness was just going through the same growth that every company goes through. Where, hey, you know, we have all these executives making all this money. We got to. Kind of weed some people out. Yeah. It just it wasn't the same as it was at one point. I had always liked feeling like I was actually a part of that company. Got it. You know, like this the founder and CEO of LA Fitness would call me from time to time. Yeah. I felt like I had a relationship. I felt like I was a part of something big. Bigger. Yeah. And eventually it got so big it got more corporate, which is fine. Yeah. But that's where, like what we talked about earlier, the entrepreneur in me knew I could do more. There was a couple other people there that knew they could do more. So yeah. long, we, we opened a couple of gyms in South Jersey. You know, like they own the gyms. I own the personal training company of it. And much like the deli, I ruined that experience too. I was still probably too immature to own my own business at the time. What
1: was going on though? What um, was the immature? Were you in or on the business? In other words, were you able to replace yourself or were you too much in the day-to-day?
2: I didn't train enough people to replace me. Got it. Um, I, I just wasn't... That happened to me. ...as focused on being there every single day. You know, I was still focused on being a young guy that wanted to go out, you know, with the girl at night and uh, just wasn't as focused at work. But the key to that is, and something that has helped me with life brand, the steps along the way that I failed my deli, the personal training studio. I then owned my own little gym after that, before I went to work at crunch fitness, a corporate job again, that, failed i don't think that one was as much me it might have been a business partner that i had but those failures there's people from every single one of those failures in my past mm. that are part of life brand today so even though the endeavor failed the relationships didn't
1: Two relationships. i always
2: did right by the people that worked for me Yep. i always tried to do right for the people that i worked with or had relationships with you know the the guy that i um, had the personal training companies inside of his gyms. When I failed with that, you know, in the sh- immediate thing, it you know tarnished mine and his relationship. Well, you fast forward; he's an investor in Life Brand. Mm. He always believed in me and my ability. Once I could get to that point that I could demonstrate it, um, and look, things I think happen over time and for a reason. I've I was having a, a conversation with Jake, who you know, any of you guys that. Watch this and are familiar with David Meltzer. Jake works with Dave Meltzer. Mm. Love this kid. Major you know, shout where... out to Jake. What's yeah. up, Jake no, Jake is the man, by the way. And so is Dave. Yeah. Jake is the man.
1: Yep. And we were having lunch. And by the way, Jake, let me just stop for a second. What I love about Jake is he's not sticky, he's not disruptive. He lets the flow happen. And he also creates there's a space of non-control and, and allowing things to develop. That's what I read and every time I talk to him, there's always an elevation in our conversation. And it feels like I speak to him 17 times a day, but I don't.
2: Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah.
1: that that's what I really enjoy about him because he sees the longer term picture, doesn't get caught up in the stickiness of the day. He doesn't. And that's the case. And he also
2: wants to learn. He takes advantage of the incredible people he's surrounded with. Yeah. You know, we were having lunch in Vegas a couple of weeks ago and he asked me, which I thought was a great question. He said, Do you wish you started Life Brand when you were younger and maybe had less responsibilities and more time? Meaning that Look, I got three kids at home that need Daddy's attention from time to time yep you know I, I have a family it would it have been better to be an entrepreneur at a young age like most people are I think I'm older than most entrepreneurs out there both of us yep most people start much younger and there's there's good and bad to that you know when you're younger yes there's no response I wish when I started life brand I could just live in mom and dad's basement but you didn't have know no you didn't bills know. have none of that stuff because when I started life brand, you know, when I started it, we had a three year old, my wife was three months pregnant with our second kid. We've since had a third kid. We, we, we lost a child along the way. I mean, there, a lot of Sorry. stuff happens that wouldn't have happened when I was younger. But if you remember, I told you, I failed at my deli when I was younger. Yep. I failed at owning a personal training studio when I was younger. Yep. So I'm glad I got the failures out of the way, yeah. learned from them, took all the great people with me that I met during yeah. those failures. Because yeah. Now to me, those weren't failures. Not only stepping did I stones. learn and they were stepping stones, you know, again, that book, um, Murphy was wrong. You know, failure is life stepping stones across the river to the shore of success. Mm. So you step across those Take that and rewind the back. And <laughs> it um so I'm glad those things happened Cut that to out. me. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad those things happened to me and they happened when I was younger, and I'm glad they happened on not the big idea. I'm glad life brand Mm. that can help and benefit so many people, employees, investors of ours, clients, users. I'm glad that one did happen. And I didn't have it when I was younger because I know for a fact, I won't mess this one up.
1: Can I ask, uh, first of all, wow, thank you. And and let's talk a little bit about David Meltzer. He's the first one I will tell you that he came out of the gate strong, but he had a massive, I'm going to use the word stepping stone to success and not failure just for this conversation, but to lose $120 million, as yeah. we know. And now he talks he's going to be the most popular seven-year-old guy based on what he's doing yep. now. Yeah. So I think there is entrepreneurs that start off fast and get to those failures on the big ones, and sometimes they don't recover.
2: Yeah, right. Like I don't. I don't think it's bad that I don't Dave either. failed when he was younger. I, think I don't think it's bad that I failed. We failed while daring greatly and daring to do something that most people wouldn't have the balls to try. Boom. So that's not failing to it's me. You know what's stone, failing? Not trying. Not trying. That's right. So like, again, oh. to the outside world, and Dave will be the first. Oh, I failed. I lost this money. No, he, he learned something. Yeah. But how many people? even are in a position to be able to lose a hundred million dollars. Exactly. So you because did something yeah. right. Yeah. And he always gives his wife a ton of credit. Yes. You know, I, I give my wife and our kids a ton of credit because all of a sudden it's not about me anymore. It's yes. about them. Yes. Everything I do is yes. for them. It's I want my kids to be proud of dad. I want to be able to provide for my kids. Yes. So this is completely different now than single TJ running a deli or running a personal training company. I can
1: relate to what you're saying because I know my wife gives me the leeway to do what we, like sometimes I'm not home for a week or for 10, 12 hours a day and, and it is what it is. So it does require when you're at home, whether you're a husband or a wife to the entrepreneur or boyfriend or girlfriend, if you try and control the entrepreneur, it's not going to work out. They're going to either resent you or you're just gonna smother what could be possibly Rob. Done. Not so, only does
2: my wife allow me to go do my thing. I mean, for like I I travel all the time for work. Yep. I will be at a business I, I'm here two hours away from my home yep. right now with you this morning. Yep. Just to go back, go to the office, and then I have a business dinner tonight. So I probably won't be home till nine or ten. Yep. Tomorrow night I'm entertaining folks at the Sixers game. Just to probably Thursday night have something else to do. My wife lets me run the company. And I gotta tell you, she runs our home and our family. So that I don't have to worry. When I come home. I got it. And and let me tell you, what she does is harder than what I do.
1: Not confused.
2: And, you know, I I hate when people give a stay at home, whether it's mom or dad. I call them domestic engineers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, her job is hard. When I got home last night at 630, she had dinner there for me. And then she still gave all three kids a bath. Got them ready for school this morning. while I was able to sit there and read and unwind from my day. Her day didn't end when I got home and her day started just as early as mine. So that's a hugely important thing. But also my kids just remind me every day, because look, there's a lot of hard, every day is a hard day for me. I mean, we're in such a fast growing phase. We're not by any means there yet. I don't know if we'll ever be there. I don't think most companies are never like there. It's hard every day, yep. but to come home and like to see my kids smile and know that like, yeah. all right, this is for them, it's yeah. worth it. So I'm gonna go, like Ed would say, one more day. Yeah, We're gonna keep doing yeah. this and we're gonna keep figuring this out. And there was a lot of really hard times along the way building this company. And there's, Not confused. there's still hard days now and there'll be hard days a year from now. I mean, really, really hard days that probably most people would have gave up. And the best advice I got when I started Life Brand was from a guy that's had a couple successful exits. He said, the only way you'll build a successful company is that when every single sign points towards you should give up, when your bank account points to you should give up, when your endeavors point that you should give up is to keep going. And like Ed Milet would say, wait one more day. Yeah. Because there were a lot of times along the journey of building this, man, I most people would have quit yeah. and maybe I quote unquote should have. Yeah. But it's seeing through that that, I mean, look, I don't think anyone built something great that wasn't hard. That's right. So you got to get through those hard days or you're not going to build something great. Those yeah. are actually the gifts, right? The
1: adversity is life's gymnasium, right? And if we can accept that as a gift as it's happening, and that's always something I try and work on, especially when it gets tough. How do I look at this? Like if, you, if it would normally have taken me 30 days or 60 days, how do I shrink that down to one or two or three days? Yeah to really kind of shift my thinking and really kind of dive into it and accept it as a good thing, not a a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Lifebrand. Why don't we tell everybody what Lifebrand is?
2: Yeah, so Lifebrand is quickly becoming the world leader in social media, education, detection, and prevention. Mm. Social media is this amazing tool that connects the world that we all have that we're not utilizing to its full potential. Think about every big business out there they spend millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on their brand, their reputation. Yep. Why aren't every single one of us doing that with our own personal brand? Because we all have a brand nowadays, thanks to social media, whether you like it or not. And I can tell you right now, whatever date this is, March 28th, 2023, five years from now, personal branding will be the biggest thing out there. So explain that like what two years ago. What I mean by that yeah. is, Every one of us has the opportunity to build a competitive advantage for ourselves through our own brand. Thanks to social media. Yep. So I'll give you a good example. I have a four year old daughter. My office manager has a four year old daughter. They're best friends. They live in the same town. They're going to grow up going to the same school. If, as they grow up, my daughter doesn't do anything bad on social media. Just post typical things kids do about hanging out with their friends, food, going to the beach. But their daughter uses her social media strategically to build a brand for herself, posting high character things about athletics, academics, family, community, posts still fun things about her, but uses it to demonstrate how good of a person she is. Well, when they go to apply to college, nearly every single college in the US looks at your social media during the admittance process. Mm. So if those two kids are down to the last spot or the last scholarship, who do you think's getting it? Their daughter, she looks better online. And just like you used to hear people say they look better on paper because of their resume or because of their college application, it's social media now. When they then go to apply for jobs, 90% of companies, over 90% look at your social media during the hiring process. So again, their daughter has an advantage over mine. So now not only do individuals need to worry about their personal brand, think about if you're a business owner and you have 5,000 employees, Those 5,000 employees are micro brands of your brand, whether you like it or not. Mm. Because 98% of people have social media. So that means 98% of those 5,000 employees have their own personal social media. And what they're posting can have an effect on your company, good or bad. So what companies are now starting to do is they're realizing that. And they're realizing we need to invest in all those tiny micro brands that represent our brand we need to take those 5000 liabilities and turn them into 5000 assets. So what Lifebrand has developed, it's two things. The first part, which isn't the main secret sauce, but it's what starts, is we have the country's only nationally accredited course that certifies people in responsible social media use. It's called the Social Media Literacy and Wellness Certification. It's about a 60 to 90 minute interactive e-course. That teaches you not just what not to do on social media, but how to strategically build a brand through your platforms. So companies offer this course to their employees. Think about it. Every major company out there that you guys might work at, you probably to take sexual harassment training or sensitivity training yearly. You probably to take all kinds of different regulatory trainings, depending on what field you work in. Well, you're going to be required to start taking social media education training yearly at your company because it's that important thing that's out there that has caused problems at companies, whether it be sexual harassment, whether it might be whatever else happens, social media is overpowering that now. If you go talk to HR managers or heads of human capital, they will tell you social media is one of the biggest problems in their workforce. Whether it's employee to employee, boss to employee, hey, that employee is friends with that boss on social media. They see what that Mm. boss did over the weekend. Now, all of a sudden, they're uncomfortable. And guess what? They should be. Now, like what used to, sexual harassment used to only happen between 9 and 5, Monday to Friday. Now... I work for you. I see something you post over the weekend. I'm not comfortable with it. That's a hostile work environment. Companies have to worry about that 24-7 now, thanks to social media. It doesn't have to happen at work for it to be a hostile work environment. Are you kidding me? No, dead serious. Like so the, the,
1: There's a legal side behind uh, that? There?
2: Abs- you could post something that if could I'm- now, maybe it's sexually explicit. Maybe it's offensive to uh, women or a certain uh, you know minority or whatever it may be. They then can come into work and say, I no longer feel comfortable working with you because of what I saw you post or what I saw you do. It means is- a
1: boss or coworker. Either one. So if I jump either in either a one. river that was twelve degrees in Utah last week and my shirt's off and I look like I don't a polar. Think that's bear-
2: offensive.
1: But I look like a polar bear. Well,
2: I don't think how you look is necessarily going to be a problem. But what but if
1: someone's in shape and I say, "How could you look like that?" Uh, it's it's a hot. Doc, somebody could find
2: that offensive, and depending on how your HR department looks at that, I mean, look, it's <laughs> we we live in a very litigious, litigious, <laughs> and sometimes overly sensitive world. I'm yeah. trying to be delicate here, but the bottom line is, there's things that could be way worse than that. Yes. Maybe you share a racially inappropriate joke. Yeah. Maybe you share something sexually explicit. Those are the it. types of things that... But someone
1: on your team can.
2: And look, people do. It happens all yeah. the time. Yeah. I mean, literally, it happens every day in big companies. So we provide this course to companies, but then after the employees scru- yep. clean, like educate their social media, we have built the most advanced artificial intelligence Here it that is, can folks. scan we'll your social it. media from inception to find potentially harmful comments, Photos, video, voice within video. Wow. Our AI will find it, flag it all, list it right there on our platform for you. And it'll say, hey, Rob, here are 80 potentially harmful posts that you probably want to think about deleting. It'll show you the post or the photo. It'll highlight for you why it flagged it. Because sometimes people are too unintelligent to know why they what they posted was inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, Or maybe there's a, maybe you posted a group picture with four of you in it. Yeah, And in the background, some knuckleheads wearing a, a shirt with a swastika on it. I don't know, I'm just... RAI would see that swastika and flag it and say, hey, you shouldn't be associated with somebody like
1: that. So if I have five platforms, you know, TikTok, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever the other one is, and I said, okay, can you look at how long is that process from when, when I say, here, do it, to you flagging all the things take?
2: Takes anywhere from seconds to 20 minutes, depending on how many posts you have. Because... What'll you, you happen? You just need access to the in- All you'll do is go to LifeBrand, or if your employer provides it for you, it'll provide you with the links. Yeah. And you'll just log into your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, your TikTok. And then it's it'll start compute. scrubbing. And in real time, it'll say, So far we have found 20 flagged posts. So far we wow. have found. And it'll start Dude. listing them all for you. And sometimes people ask us why we don't just automatically delete the harmful posts. That's censorship. And we want no part of that. Yeah. Because look, maybe it's. Maybe you're okay with it being there. We're not trying to be the judge and jury. We're just saying, Hey user, these are the types of things that could get you in trouble. Think about deleting them. And our average user going back to the inception of life brand deletes over 19 posts from their social media. Think about that 19. So all of you listening, you, everybody on average would delete 19 posts. If you use our product now, People think all the time, oh, I don't have 19 horribly offensive things on my social media. They're not normally the most horribly offensive thing. They're just things that you're like, eh, do I really need that on there? Like, you know, that picture of me and my boys at the bar at one thirty in the morning on a Wednesday night, it's not bad, but do I want people knowing I was out at 1.30 in the morning on a Wednesday night? Like just, they're probably like, I should delete it. Like, Got it. So it's not always the worst stuff, but where employers are loving this is If an employer went to their employee and said, hey, I want you to go clean your social media right now, that employee's going to say, you don't have the right to tell me that, or that's my personal social media. If the employer says to the employee, "We'll do it, but I won't look and I won't hold anything against you, you're not going to believe them. But when your employer provides life brand to the employee and they take our course, and us as a respected third party, world leader in social media, education and technology, We have phenomenal relationships with pro sports teams, athletes, celebrities. So there's some cool factor to us. There's some trust factor there. Yeah. We can then through our course, tell the employees, don't worry, your employer will not see the results of this. This is between you and LifeBrand. All they're doing is providing you with a tool. They won't see anything that was flagged. They can't hold anything against you, but use this. And here's all the reasons why you should. Now it's us telling that employee why it's important. Not the company. Yep. And the company's sitting there like, yes, thank goodness someone's getting through them. It's almost like mom and dad trying to talk to a teenager. They're not going to listen to mom and dad, but they might listen to that cool uncle down the street. We're that cool uncle that they can listen to. Uh, first
1: of all, I love that. A quick question. If I'm an owner and I provide this to all my employees and they go through the training and decide not to do it, does that give me the ability to protect the company based on their posts?
2: Well, it absolutely does. If there's a legal you, challenge. Look. People are fired every day in this country because of what they posted on their own personal social media. Yep, It goes to court all the time. It has gone as high as the Supreme Supreme Court numerous times. Yep, Every single time, the courts have sided with the employer, which yep. is surprising to a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, people I'm think, oh, me. I have the right to post whatever I want, freedom of speech. You absolutely have freedom of speech to post whatever you want, but your employer is entitled to the same rights of freedom of speech to not mm. have your speech affect their business. So as long as the employer had clear cut guidelines in place, they had a social media policy. If they provided social media training from Lifebrand, all the better to protect them. Yep. Now, if you fire that employee, Hey, we had something in our handbook. We provided you with company paid training on what's acceptable and what's not. Yep. You still chose to go against it. You are fired. Yeah. The only time companies get themselves into trouble with firing someone because of their personal social media is if they're doing double standards if me and you both do something stupid, but you're a top performer, so they keep you, but they fire me. Yep. As not long as confused. you're fair about it, companies are allowed to, and look, I, I was saying this to a couple of your guys earlier today, freedom of speech does not mean freedom from repercussions. You're allowed to post whatever you want on your personal social media. You're right, it's your freedom of speech, but it doesn't mean that there's not repercussions that can come from what you post. It doesn't mean that you might not lose your top client. It doesn't mean that you might not lose your significant other because they're unhappy with it. It doesn't mean that your boss might not be happy.
1: Yeah, with that them. sounds like no participation trophies, folks. This is the real world. Let me Is ask- the real world? Yeah. You're
2: ex- absolutely right.
1: So you got the you got the influencer out there that's a disruptor. Yeah. So let's say if you have a client that is an influencer, I don't know your client, you know, right. not to get into anyone specific, but they're a disruptor. Can you be a disruptor and still not have a overabundance of of posts that have to be flagged? Yeah, look, that would be a question that would be it, asked.
2: You can, depending on your brand. You know, one of my favorite podcasts used to be the MF CEO with Andy Frasella, and now it's you know Real AF. You know, he calls it Real AF. You can imagine what the, AF the stands for, but I, they like it here. But you know, I mean, he it's AF Andy Frasella. I mean, he doesn't go more than three seconds without dropping F this, F that, that blah blah blah. That's his brand. So that's okay. You know, we're not trying to tell people not to be you and not to be authentic. Got it. But for most of the people out there, look, even him, he's smart. He doesn't go down those dirty roads of things that can get him in trouble. Yeah. He'll F this, F that. But like the things that could be real controversial that could cost him maybe sponsors or maybe listeners. Yeah. he, He tries to stay. He will be real AF, but like, There's always still a line. You got to watch. I mean, Joe Rogan's gotten himself into trouble. And look, he's come back from it because he is who he is. He speaks the truth and that's, he's okay if some people are offended by it. And that's fine. What we're just trying to help people with is most of us don't have that luxury. Yeah. You know, and one of the biggest things that gets people in trouble is politics. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It, it, the, The political seat in this country is so messed up right now. Yeah. No matter what side you're on, you're automatically offending 50% of your followers. Yep. You might have just lost somebody that was about to buy a large package from you. Yep. You might have just lost somebody that was about to How do you balance to... that? I don't talk about it at all. Yeah. Got and it. I'll give you a great example. You know, we have a house in Ocean City, New Jersey. My neighbor has a flagpole that's right in the corner of our two properties out back. And he's been flying a Trump DeSantis 24 flag for two years now. I will not post or let other people post pictures from my backyard that have that flagpole in it. it. Not because of the candidates on it. I don't care if it was Biden, I don't care who's on it. I can't have a political affiliation. I might lose half of my supporters. And to me, there there used to be a time as recently as 15 years ago where politics were a personal thing. People didn't go out talking about it. And now social media, people think they should keep, let me tell you, I could post all day long my political beliefs on social media, I'm probably not going to affect one... Per- I'm not going to change one person's opinion. True. But what I did just do is probably lose yours. half my potential yeah, business.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So again, there's
2: no point in me talking about that's it. Now, if you're a politician point. or if you're somebody that's trying to affect change in the world, go ahead, yeah. knock yourself out. You know?
1: So so does your company also help people in their social media? In other words, you know, through algorithms and... Have, do you actually develop... Can you help? It's, it's then, the
2: next step in what we're doing, yeah. Our artificial intelligence right now... Is it ChatGPT
1: related? Is it beyond it's that? It's
2: along those lines. And that's why, and look, when I say along those lines, we are nowhere near that. Yep, yep. But what it is doing is it's learning right now. It's yep. continual machine learning. It's learning. And I'm going to give you a good example for folks out there that aren't that familiar with artificial intelligence. You're a basketball coach. Yep. You got a high school basketball team. Yep. You got four kids. Yep. You need that fifth kid to play in this Friday night's game. It's Tuesday. You got three days your only chance that you have out there is a three-year-old toddler. Well, guess what? All the money in the world can't make that three-year-old toddler ready to play in three nights on a varsity high school. Because that right. three-year-old toddler means years and years of repetition, yep. growth, training. Yep. Same thing with AI. Yep. So we're training our AI right now, our users as it's flagging stuff. Yep. And as our users are cho- choosing to delete or ignore it, Yep. It's training our AI as to what's acceptable, what's not, mm. you know, it's helping it sensitivity of it. Eventually over time, just like chat GPT can spit out an essay for you. I think chat GPT just passed the bar last week. Hey, it's amazing. Well, eventually our AI will now be able to build that brand for you. Now mm. it knows what posts are acceptable and what aren't. It knows the type of context or sentiment that people want to see because it's gauging how many likes interactions it's getting. We can, yes, Actually yeah, advise right people. Not right now. Okay, the, It's probably still a couple of years away from being that sophisticated. But that's the goal is to where it's going. And that's why, look, ChatGP, anything AI is the rage right now. If you look at these AI companies that have VCs throwing money at them hand over fist, it's because they know what AI can do. But also, just like I said. about your personal brands, right? All I the money. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's important. Because yeah. we have a, an, an AI tool that could literally benefit every single person out there. Yeah, Every single person has an opportunity to build a brand for themselves and our AI can help you do that and eventually it'll learn to help you do it based on what your goals are. Maybe yeah. you are like Andy Frisella and you wanna be a little bit more pushing that line. Yeah. It can build a brand guided towards that.
1: Maybe you're an Does athlete. anyone have that now? Do people do that now? There's really no that nobody, we don't know about? Like
2: No, there's really no one doing what we like do. Like a a Gary
1: V, the way he does like is it
2: uh, It's not using AI. I mean, he can help you build a great personal brand for yourself. But
1: even on the social media side, like what to do, how how to do, when to do. How many people can
2: he touch or his team touch? Yeah. Our AI, just like ChatGPT can touch the world. Yep. Got it. Can touch the world one day. So that's really, but ultimately what we're doing is we're, we're learning how to brand people, businesses. And it's, it's a really big thing. Everyone has the advantage right now to have their own personal brand. Thanks to social media. Amazing, And we're, at the forefront of doing it. But again, when we talked about all the money in the world can't train that AI overnight, that's our big advantage is that we are five years ahead of the next person that wants to do it. So that ideally one day when that really big guy with all the money in the world wants to do it, hey, maybe they could do in two years what took us six or seven to do. But still in those two years, because of their distribution, maybe they could have made billions of dollars. That's where tech companies like us then exit and sell to that bigger player. Now,
1: have you written a book? I've not. Okay, that's I'm I sure will. that's going to happen at some point. I will. How, how can folks get in touch with Lifebrand if they want to kind of, you know, see if they want to hire you? Anybody can go
2: to www.lifebrand.life to learn about Lifebrand on our website, yep. our Instagram and Twitter, um, lifebrand at lifebrand.life. Uh, me personally on Instagram, Twitter, I am Tommy J Cola. Um, we would love for people to reach out. Love talking to everybody about it. And um, I think we got a great platform. that every And it, the best part is every single person can go get a free social media check right now. You really? can go to our website and for free, connect your social media accounts.
1: Flash this up. Which,
2: and we will tell you for free how many potentially harmful posts you have. And then the you website? can pay to upgrade www.lifebrand.life.
1: So for folks that are going to say, hey, listen, let me, let me go check it out. Are they protected? What's the protection? On- 100% protected. Yeah.
2: I can't even speak to all of the... Security that we have, I'd have to get our chief data or uh, technology or product officers out here, but um, yeah, no one can see the results. Even me, as the CEO and the founder of the company, yep. I have no idea of knowing who's posts or what. Yep. You know, our AI sees it and it's protected that way. It's protected so that you know if Brad Pitt decides to come scrub his social media with us, yep. and I fire one of our data engineers one day, they're not posting Brad. I mean, no one can see the results of it. It's completely just between you and your, you and our AI.
1: Can I, can I ask you another question? Because yeah. I get this a lot. So, if you want to scrub your followers, does this do it? It does not. Okay. Our Got whole it.
2: thing is we believe in the person being in control. Got it. We want you to know what's happening. We want you to consent to it. We want you to. Well, that's what I'm
1: saying. If you if yeah. you have bots as followers. Would this be able to find that?
2: Uh, as of right now, no. Yeah. It will in the pa- in the okay. future. We'll be able to identify yeah, that Yeah, because a lot
1: of people ask those questions. So, so there is safety, obviously, if you really want to protect yourself from something that could happen three years from now or three years ago. And if it's for free before the upgrades, you should always go check it out. I think that if anyone has any questions, please put them in the field also. If you want to learn more and you want to speak to one of us to directly hand off, go ahead. And I'll click the link below, obviously. And you can st- talk to one of the folks at Epic. So where, where do you see yourself in the next five or 10 years based on, this is an unbelievable journey. And by the way, to get to where you are today, let's not forget four years ago, you had to pawn your wife's wedding ring Wedding yeah. ring when the company first started. And there was times when, um, you know, the wall was right in front of you, but you persevered through it.
2: Yeah, look, no, there was a lot of really hard, like most entrepreneurs at the beginning, I mean, we went all in, you know, my, my wife and I maxed out every credit card, sold personal belongings, like you mentioned, we, we pawned our engagement ring at one point. Um, we did everything we had to do to keep the lights on and keep these guys, you yeah. know, the, the team working. People we fixed. had really great partners along the way. You know, We worked with a firm at of Prague called Oaks Lab that built our initial product um, that worked with us for over three years. Let me tell you Rob, there was a lot of times we couldn't afford to pay them. Because yeah. I mean, I, investors would keep saying, well, hey, if you can build it and prove you can do it, we'll give you money. I'm like, well, I need money to build to it, it, to prove it. Like, yeah. you know, There was a lot of times we'd run out of money and i mean theo jake andy all them guys at oaks lab do they always worked with us i mean one of the turning points for our company was in late 2020 we had an opportunity to pitch our company in a pitch competition to kevin o'leary from shark tank yep. this was through start engine their equity crowdfunding site it was the first ever pitch competition now they do them quarterly but it was the first one they ever did you no know, almost 1500 companies applied we were one of five finalists to actually pitch wow. Kevin O'Leary in a live Shark Tank style pitch competition. Amazing. We ended up winning that competition. You know, so the the validation from Kevin O'Leary of picking us, me and him then appeared. And you needed that. Yeah, you for absolutely needed that. Yeah. For my own thing, with right. anything, that yep. I'm not some idiot. Like, yep. all right, we have something here. I get it. Him and I then appeared on Yahoo Finance a couple of weeks later. I mean, that was rocket fuel for our company. But what a lot of people don't know is a month before that. We couldn't afford to pay to get the product built. We were almost at the finish line and we almost wouldn't even have had it to demonstrate to Kevin O'Leary. Yep. But that team at Oaks Lab, the founders, I just met Jake, Andy, Theo, they said, you know what TJ, we believe in you. We believe that if we finish building this for you, you will get the investor dollars you need. You will get the traction from clients. We'll basically float you $180,000 Hmm. Line of credit. That's what we still owe them to complete the project. We'll let you pay us back. We believe, like everyone said, if it's built, you'll be okay.
1: Yeah.
2: And they didn't have to do that. Without that, we wouldn't have been able to pitch it to Kevin O'Leary. I mean, that could have been the end of the company right yeah. there. I mean, that yeah. could have been. But then because they built it for us and we were able to demonstrate it. Amazing. We were trying to, at the time, raise a million-dollar seed round. Yep. We ended up oversubscribing it and doing almost $2 million that mm-hmm. we never would have been able to do. And then we immediately paid them back had the full amount even earlier than we were supposed to. But had they not built it, I wouldn't have been able to demonstrate. So again, it goes to show I can have all the, you know, the keep going mentality that you want. You got to surround yourself with the right people. I surrounded myself <laughs> with people at Oaks Lab that believed in us. You know, our first two employees, you've met Lexi before. Lexi's our senior vice president of marketing. Yep. She worked for us in those very early days where she was never getting a paycheck or rarely or sporadically, Mm. but always still believed in the bigger thing of what we were building. Gemma, our chief operating officer, I mean, she went to school for um, pre-law and cybersecurity. Like this is right in her wheelhouse, what we were doing. When she had heard about it, she's like, I got to work for you guys. I'm like, hey, we, we just, we don't have any money. I'm not paying myself. I can't afford to pay other people. Yep she stalked me and she'll be the first to tell you stalked me for a year That's amazing. for a job finally came up to me on a wednesday and said i quit my job today i start working for you on monday i said jemma i still can't afford yeah. to pay you and she said i don't care i believe in what we're doing just give me a little bit of equity it'll all work itself out at the end mm. like we wouldn't be here without oak's lab without lexi without jemma yeah. without all the other people amazing <clears throat> that we've surrounded ourselves with Cause look, it's a really hard journey and it's scary. It's scary for employees. I mean, look, employees, when they work at a startup, they want,
1: they, want, they, they want It's scary. They know that the paycheck
2: might not come yeah. next week. They know that, oh crap, they might run out of funding at some yep. point or the revenues aren't coming in fast enough. I mean, it's, it's, everyone's taking that risk with you. Yep. And I think and you, you feel need, that responsibility. Yeah. I feel the responsibility. Yeah. But I, I think I have empathy of knowing that Yeah. and try it's to amazing. reassure people where you can. But also that like, it's, I think Mark Cuban told everyone he started his first company, we're either going to make it or we might fail, but at least we're all going to walk away as friends. And uh, hopefully we're past the point that we would fail. But I mean, you have to, it's a really tough journey and we surround ourselves with good people that believe in us. We still, again, have a very long way to go, but it's starting to, you know, what used to be we would get one new B2B or enterprise client a month. Yeah. Then became one a week. I get it. Now it's one or two a day. Got it. We're getting the bigger ones because people have are you had starting
1: any, to see. Have you had any offer people coming to buy out yet? Has No, started? not yet.
2: Or not at anything that we would seriously entertain. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've been meeting with a lot of really large investment banks. We have a couple coming to our office tomorrow and the next day um, to ultimately... Probably do our next financing round.
1: So let me ask you because this is what a lot of folks don't understand about business. As you're an entrepreneur, there's always more money that needs to come in when you have something really good that you could develop. And sometimes folks get confused about that. Well,
2: Rob, not only do they get confused, it's. If it's you want to build it, it's a really scary process. Let me, yeah. Know, I mean, you know, we did a Series A in March of 2021.
1: Yep. Where we raised. Well, before you get into that, can you go to when you first started this, your first round of money raise, even if it was family and friends? Yeah, like, what I mean, that we, looked like first.
2: We did almost by accident a friends and family round. Yep. Um, I wasn't setting out to raise money. I, I certainly didn't want to solicit my friends or family. But you but had an idea. I had an idea, and as I'd be telling people about my idea, yeah, they're like, "Hey, can I throw a couple dollars into that?" Yep. And I'm like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know. I get like, I, it was never." I, I didn't, I'm not from this world where, yeah. you know, you, you raise money. Yep. So yeah, long story short, we did it. We raised $152,000 from yep. friends, friends and family. Yep. There was four people that took part in that. And they're still and then they, they are still around. Owner. They're still invested in yep. the company. Um, Amazing. And then we did a small, um, I guess you would call it like a pre-seed or uh, a non-institutional seed yep. round where a couple VCs, um, you know, they're actually all doctors or uh, surgeons at a University of Pennsylvania uh, or work in the radiology department. Raised $250,000 from them.
1: This was to build the AI this was this to, was to build before the, the ind- labs. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, this was to have Oaks Lab build our project. Got it. Let me tell you the best advice I can give, and people told this to me everything's going to cost two to three times as much as you think, and yep. it's going to take two to three times Longer. as long as you think. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, you know, what we thought would be $250,000 to build it, I was way off. Um, and it took longer than we thought. But I mean, those guys that were some of our initial investors, again, probably wouldn't be here without them. I and mean, yeah. I'm actually going with two of them to a Sixers game tomorrow night. Um, it, you know, they then helped introduce us to other people. And then after that, we did that $2 million round. That was the seed Kevin round. That was during Kevin O'Leary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was not part of it, but it was during that time that we raised that money. Yeah. And... Shortly after that, we did a little over $20 million Series A.
1: Okay, so Kevin O'Leary comes on the scene. He's a big fish. There's a splash that creates more momentum that leads right into the next wave of momentum. Leads right into the mess wave. Which is $20 million, Yeah. Uh, whatever you could disclose or not, it's all good. Yeah, but and I, I won't get into did the- Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did that- They started
2: coming out to us. when Got I it. When I did that $2 million round, I turned down almost $8 million worth of investment. Got it. Because I would have had to give away the whole company, the valuation yeah, we were yeah, doing yeah. at the time. yep. Um so that's See, what the started valuation. that next yeah. round. And you know I'm not going to get into the individual names or institutions yep. that took part in that round but I mean there are very influential people from some of the biggest investment banks in the world that are invested in this round. Which means they we believe have, in what you're doing. They believe in what I'm yeah. doing. They have a pro sports we, we have a pro sports team owner invested in this. We have the former chairman and CEO of a very large um investment bank that yep. is invest- so I mean these weren't just idiots with checkbooks. These are people that validate ideas like mine for a living. Did they knock on your door at that point? Or were you it was not... a little bit of both. Okay. It was, they knocked on mine. We strategically reached out to some people that we know. Yeah. You know, I, The one name I don't mind mentioning, because he openly talks about it all the time, David Meltzer, invested during that round. What round um, was this, the That was million? our series at the $20 million round, yeah. And how did he find um, out about it? Uh, you know what? Were you, was he coaching you at that point? No, time? one of my sales guys cold called him. amazing. And said, amazing. My guy, my boss needs to be on your podcast. And they actually ended up getting Jake on the phone. And they were going to be in New York anyway for something. They're like, you know what? We'll actually come down to your office in Philadelphia mm. and we'll do a podcast. I mean, my guy called him out of the clear blue. I have no business being on his show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we were very early stage then and ended up coming down. We did a great podcast for his podcast um, on the Playbook. And um, so one of your people called them. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. But had the balls to so just say, I'm going to take a shot. Yeah. And, um, and he, some of the shots, people don't answer the call. Some some do. Yeah. But yeah. we have we have several pro athletes um, that are invested in that round. So, Any I mean,
1: basketball we, players or just football?
2: Football and baseball. Okay. Uh, we're in that round, yeah. Got it. Um, so, I mean, we, we had the right people, but now here's where it gets really tough. You raise 20-some million dollars. People don't give you the money not to spend it. So, you know, typically most companies, and look, I, I'm... From what I know, eighteen to thirty-six months is how long money should last that you raise. Cause yep. if it's gonna take you longer than that to spend it, you should wait to raise it because you right. can raise it at a higher valuation. That's right. But also you didn't raise the money not to, to spend it, because yeah. otherwise you would have you you diluted people for no reason. Yep. So this is where it gets tricky. You start scaring the crap out of people when you gotta spend twenty million dollars in twenty four months. What people so they, are we talking about? I'm talking Your maybe like Internal earlier, people? Some may be internal. Some may be earlier investors that when they invested, maybe didn't see the whole, they obviously saw potential if they invested, but they didn't think, holy crap, this could be a real tech company that's going to go through a series A, a series B.
1: But what are they nervous <laughs> to about? To see you
2: go, well, to see someone going from spending $200,000 a year yeah. to $10 million a year.
1: But they think it's going to burn or something? Well, or just,
2: people get nervous like, oh, you're going through the money fast. Yeah, that's kind of by design, you know? And and for people that are used to venture investing, they get that. Yeah. But for people that aren't, again, that can be scary. And then people have opinions as to how you should spend the money, you know? Yeah. So Ah. it it gets really tough. So you gotta
1: deal with personalities over principles, over personalities. And you gotta deal with people that maybe
2: have built... Other types of businesses mm,
1: that everyone's yes
2: right. would have spent the money in their way differently, and I yeah. agree with them. But for what we need to do, this is how it needs to be spent. So it's yeah. it, it gets tough, and then you know here we are. We're we're going to be doing a large growth round in the near future. You know, now, what's so the
1: difference between a Series A and a growth round?
2: Series A is typically or I the mean,
1: twenty million. The twenty look, million for, compared to a growth
2: for most companies when they do that Series A where we raise the twenty million. Yeah. Again, I can't speak for all of them, but they're they're typically either coming out of being pre-revenue, yep. or they've done a few million dollars worth of sales, there's some traction. You yep. know, it's proof not of just, concept. There's some proof of concept, it. yes. It's Understood. not just like a pipe dream that yep. we maybe could do this. That's venture money. Then series A is hey, we're we're you're still taking somewhat of a risk. Basically that series A money is gonna help you prove that one of two things can happen. You can either be self-sufficient on your own after that, yep. through your own revenues, yep. or Growth money that would come in can just multiply a positive effect. Scale. Yeah, you can scale. And, you know, so during that Series A, we had to do a couple things. One, we had to prove that our salespeople can generate enough revenue that more money can multiply their efforts. So let's uh, say we're paying a we guy. Eat? We have... Sorry. Only six right now. It's going up to about 10 or 11. And then we just stuff. hired a couple so more people. So
1: uh,
2: Just hired a couple more people. But, you know, if you got a sales guy that let's say all in between commission, bonus whatever he's making just, okay. 100 grand i'm just going to make up a number yeah. well then he better be bringing in 500 grand you know like so i'll take 20 people that are bringing in 500 grand 10 yep. million dollars and i'm paying them each 100 grand a year done it makes yep. sense yep so you can multiply that you also have to prove that once you sell it and this was the biggest part for us last year and you know last year you know we didn't do as much in revenues as maybe i would have liked or yep. other folks would have liked but the quality of the revenue was there Good and what I mean by that is, they're good clients that are going to renew. Say we, you know, uh, one of the last clients we onboarded in twenty um, twenty two was an NBA team. They had five hundred total seats that they bought from us between front office players the whole nine. One hundred percent of those five hundred seats onboarded and used it. Yep. You know what that tells me? They're going to renew again in a yeah.
1: year. Yep. So you, you know what would tell it me it if only three percent
2: did? They're not going to renew.
1: So you could you could look at predictability.
2: Right. So last year was all about. Building out our customer success team, making sure the adoption rates were high, improving our digital customer acquisition costs. Because again, if you know, at one point back in 2020, it was costing us over $200 to acquire one new user. Let me tell you, I don't know if for anyone, that's not good. $200 to acquire one user is not good. We have that down under $7 right now to acquire wow. a user. Money can multiply that. So now, go spend $500,000 a month on digital marketing because you're going to get a positive ROI. Yeah. If I would have spent $500,000 on it when it was $200 to acquire a user, I'm going to be flushing $500,000 down the toilet. Yeah. So last year was all about proving that out. And now as we meet with these larger VCs. That's a 28-time difference. It's big and difference. Seven, yeah. yeah. So now that we're meeting with these bigger VCs or investment banks, we can now show them that your money can multiply what we're doing. Yeah. Can we go on our own at this point? Can we just organically grow? Yes. Can we grow 10 times faster with another infusion of cash? So that's kind of the point. But again, that's... Is that that's what you want? Scary. Yeah, We. I want to do one more round. Okay. I I think we really could benefit... Just one more. One more. Just one more. One more, because Major shout are, out to Ed Milet. We are at a point... Right now, we are the first to market with the solution that we have. Yeah. There is without question gonna be competitors in our space over yep. the next couple of years. So we wanna dig as deep and wide of a moat around us to keep our competitors away. Yep. And more cash can help us do that. So that by the time there are competitors, we can just buy those guys up or acquire mm. those littler guys. Or by the time the really big guy wants to come in, well then they can acquire. Okay. They can acquire us.
1: So it sounds like there's a game plan and a strategy that sounds like life has taught him what to and not to do. And it sounds like he went from a gym membership to an AI company, technology. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation maybe for our second webinar. <laughs> to be able to kind of get into, not webinar, a podcast, to get into why, you, I don't know how it happened, how you went from a gym owner to like creating this whole well, AI thing, uh, which is incredible. I can tell
2: you kind by of the way, anybody out there that thinks, you know, that's not my space or I can't do that. You know, I, when I had this idea, I mean, I have built and scaled companies for other people my whole life. You know, when I started working at LA Fitness, there was only a couple clubs in the Northeast. Yep. There was over a hundred by the time I left. I was a big part of growing a lot of those clubs along with a lot of other people. Yep. Same thing with Crunch Fitness. I started at their very first club that this ownership group had up in White Plains, New York. And by the time I left, they had 23. Yep. I was one of the key four or five people that helped grow that. Yep. So building and scaling businesses I've always done, but I knew nothing about technology. So when I had this idea, I actually pitched this idea to someone else to build it. I said, you should build this because yep. we needed the solution. And they said, TJ, you can actually do it yourself. And when I said, I don't know anything about technology, they said, well, you don't need to know technology. You know how to build and scale companies. You know how to manage people. You know how to attract the right people. You just need a nerd that can write the code is what he said. Yeah, it's like so we
0: introduced you hire me the to yeah. the
2: people at Oaks Lab that built it for us. Yeah, And then I was able to build it. So anybody can go change that industry Because it's all, I mean, business is business. Business is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yep. It's knowing how to manage and motivate people, but it's also being smart enough to hire the right people and then get the out of their way and let them do their job. Mm. You know, I know that I don't know technology. So I went out and hired one of the smartest chief technology officers I could possibly hire. Yeah. I went out and hired one of the smartest chief product officers I could possibly hire. We do a lot in HR. There's a lot of legal stuff that goes into, as you can imagine, using people's social media and all that different stuff. We have a ton of contracts we have to review. I went out and hired an incredible chief legal officer and law firm. We work with Blank Rome, one of the top law firms in the country. So I've surrounded myself, not just in our office, but on our board of directors. Mm. I mean, I have people on our board that have built and scaled companies their entire life. Yep. You know, our one in, you know institutional investor, Juno Capital, was from Juno Search Partners. Yep. They built an incredible business that was just acquired in December by NFP. Wow. But then they started a um a venture fund that we were either their first or second investment they ever made. But I've been able to learn from their the Time, hard times they had growing. I'm able to have someone to bounce things off of, yep. but it's also somebody that's very intimately connected to the Philadelphia business scene that's been able to make introductions for me. Yep. I have, you know, the other guy on our board that was the chairman and CEO of a 2.2 trillion dollar investment fund. I'm going to learn from people like that.
1: So when you when you hire a board, do they get a salary? Do they get an equity? Or do they get a piece of the profits? How does that work? Our,
2: our board of directors right now is currently comprised of some of our earlier investors. Got it. So we have a couple of folks that were part of our seed round, a couple of folks that were part of our A round. And um, the one, a couple of them had it as part of their investment. They were granted a board seat. We recently added another one um, because we wanted to, because he was the most experienced. One of the most, I don't want to take anything away from some of our investors. One of the most experienced people on our cap table and we said this guy needs to be on our board. Yep. Not only did we think that other investors of ours they felt good were about like it. why don't you have him on your board? I'm like yeah. Yeah, good good idea. So I mean me and G- Jim who's our uh, general counsel hopped on a plane, flew out to Palm Springs to meet with him wow. and I mean look, he's he's got a lot going on. Yeah. You know that he doesn't need to be on our board. Yeah. But um we went out and we said these are all the reasons why we think you'd add value to our company and how you'd help me as a CEO grow. And he was, you know, nice enough to take us up on that. And he's, he's been a big help, you know? Awesome. So, I mean, everybody though, and I, I tell people this all the time. If you put us in a boardroom with our C-suite, with our advisory board, mm. with our board of directors, I am the most unexperienced, uneducated person in that room. I get it. And I do not mean that as a shot at <laughs> my own ability it. or intelligence. Yep. I'm smart enough to hire really good people. And then get out of their way. Love it. Don't micromanage them. I shouldn't have hired them if I need to micromanage. Them. That's right. If there's some newer entry level employees, they can—I don't want to say micromanage them, but train them until they're ready to kind of you know fly on their own. Yep. But um, yeah, surrounding dude, that's amazing. You, know, you got to surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. So again, this is a really hard journey, and you got to surround yourself with people that will challenge my thinking. You know, just like I tell everyone, I told you earlier, I tell everyone of my employees when I hire them. That you better fail at least once in your first year. Mm. You also better tell me that I'm wrong once in my first year. Mm. Respectfully. Don't you know pull me aside and say, yeah. hey, TJ.
1: Look at it this way.
2: I don't think this is what we should do, and this is why. Yeah. Come to me with the why. To find I mean, the
1: problem solvable term. Yeah, yeah.
2: Our chief operating officer, Gemma, tells me I'm wrong more than anybody I've ever met in my life. More <laughs> than my wife tells me I'm wrong. And one of two things will happen. I'll either be able to articulate to her where I was coming why from. Why you said, yeah. And she'll say, oh, you know what, TJ? New information. Now I see it, new information. Yeah. Or she'll tell me why she thinks the other way makes more sense through actual data or, a you know, educated argument. Yep. And I'll say, you know what? You're right. And I have to admit we probably go with what she said more times than what we yeah. go with I said. That but, means you got the right person. But again, it means I, I don't want to hire people just to say yes. to Yes. Me. Challenge me. Yes. But we should all be learning from each other. And again, I hired you or you or you. Yeah. Because you're smart. Yeah. So yeah. I want your ideas. Yeah. You know? So
1: don't just challenge the guy that or the guy that you work for. Challenge with evidence of why, which we call from Tony Robbins, define the problem in solvable terms. Don't just say no. Saying no, you become useless. No. Offense. Right. Oh yeah. You become someone that's expendable at some point because now all this sudden somebody else is going to say yes to what you're saying no to and when you have an innovative boss or an entrepreneurial boss they're not going to want to hear that give Great. me the reason that. or the logic as yeah. to why you're telling me no yeah i love wow. that that was tremendous dude i can't thank you enough by the way once again can you just give your website again so yeah lifebrand.life
2: touch please check it out every single person can get a free yeah so i, I love mean it. what do you got to lose yeah. i mean <laughs> go get a free social media yeah. check if you don't want to delete the stuff don't delete it but i mean it's Gives again our average user deletes 19 posts it is worth getting a free check.
1: How many users do you have right now, approximately? Not I, I to hold you.
2: I, I couldn't even tell you. Or they How might not want have? me to tell you. They don't like us sharing a lot of that information. Okay, that's but, cool. But um, um I, I can tell you.
1: Well, a, better question. What is the avatar of you? Like, is it a, is it a small company, mid company? Like, can anybody do it? Is anybody,
2: certain... any? In, I, I can tell you. Any individual can go do this. Got we it. have. High school kids, okay, to cool, white collar executives, Great. but businesses. So it's affordable
1: for all like major businesses down to businesses.
2: We have everything from five person hair salons as so, clients,
1: there you to go, to publicly
2: traded banks.
1: Love it. So, yeah, there you go, unbelievable. Well, listen, dude. First of all, go ahead and click the link below if you have any questions. Feel free to ask any questions. If you have any um, you know, specific videos that you want us to do. If you want me to reach back out to TJ and learn some more stuff, I'll be able to do that as well. But I can't thank you enough yeah. for coming in. Yeah, thank I, you
2: so much for having us. We always it. like sharing our
1: story. And, and I can't wait to go to a Sixer game. I am a basketball fan. I got as you. Well, as well as a football fan, but with you though. I want to go. We got you. you.
2: I got you for Sixers.
1: I want you to go, we'll go to a playoff game. Yes, love it. Anyway, thanks for checking us out. And Life Brand is where it's at. You might as well learn them now while you can because they're blowing up like you knew they would. Probably not a good social media thing, but anyway, it's (laughs) all good. And uh, dude, I can't thank you enough, man. Yeah, Really? thank you so much.
0: That's it for today with Rob Gill and the Epic Epic. Financial Strategies Podcast. Be sure to hop to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe and tune into all the podcasts. Also, be sure to follow the Rob Gill YouTube channel and Rob Gill social media channels. We'll see you on the next podcast.